Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Katia Ariel is an author, book editor, and educator from Melbourne, Nam. She was born in Odessa, Ukraine. She was a recipient of the Varuna Residential Fellowship in 2022 and has been published in a variety of literary journals, including Womankind and Antarctica. Her memoir, The Swift Dark Tide, published by Gazebo Books in 2023, chronicles the discovery of queerness later in life, as well as the history of desire and rebellion in the female line. Welcome to QWS Podcast, Katia. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. So we start with an opening question that we ask all our guests, which is how has your work influenced your identity? Well, so if we're talking about my work as my writing, in this case, uh, it's really braided into my identity. I think it's who I was born to be in this life. And like some other important parts of my identity, I didn't discover that until a ways into my life probably (laughs) until until my late 30s, you know, and both my queerness and my need to write arrived in me, you know, kind of made their announcement almost at the same time. And so they're very braided and I'm not surprised by that braiding because I think both writing and um, sexual orientation Uh, come from a similar place, which is creativity and life force and what we want to do with our deepest self, or at least for me they do. So, yeah, those two things speak to each other really naturally and really beautifully, and I'm not surprised that the need to live them erupted in me simultaneously, actually. (laughs) I think you you, uh, win the best answer Um, to that question. It's beautiful. I love that. That's fantastic. Good to unpack there. Um, Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, I just wanted to introduce the Swift Dark Tide to our listeners. Um, So I'm just going to read the blurb. Sure. Uh, The Swift Dark Tide is a story of selfhood and desire, of careful listening to an ungovernable heart. At its core, a story of a queer awakening. The swift dark tide takes the form of a letter to the woman who changed the author's life. With steadfast poetism and honesty, this book delves into daughterhood, motherhood, and heritage. The foundations and onus of a marriage, the mysteries of personal formation, and the transformative power of love. Part memoir, part love letter. The Swift Dark Tide is also a chronicle of life by the sea, journeying between Melbourne, St Kilda and the Black Sea town of Odessa. Katia Ariel introduces us to a lineage of soulful, strident women and beautifully nuanced men. As relevant as it is timeless, the Swift Dark Tide is thrillingly invested in the specific longings, struggles and triumphs between people. It is bound to both break and mend your heart. 
Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. Isn't that a gorgeous synopsis? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I yeah. know. And as I always say on the show, I'm just always, always awed by people who write memoir and share part of themselves with the world. I just think it's so incredibly generous and, and courageous um, to do that. Can you tell us about how this book came to be? What was the new process around creating The Swifter? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I could sort of really directly also speak to just what you said about people writing memoir. I couldn't not write this, right. you know. It was just burning in me. I didn't know right from the start that it was going to become a book, but yeah. I also um, couldn't sit by and not express what was happening to me when I fell in love with this woman some 16, 17 years into my heterosexual marriage. Yeah. And in finding her and letting her find me, I was really finding myself. And with that came this urgency to try and process the scale of it because it was so huge. The homecoming was so huge and um, also terrifying because I had this beautiful life that I had built so carefully with another human being and we made three other human beings together and, you know, it was sort of um, exhilarating and terrible and beautiful and unknown all at once. And I think I'm very lucky that writing did come to me in that moment because it helped me process so much of it. And so I started to just write these kind of chapters, these little vignettes, and yeah. something I talk about in the book is I went to the sea like a couple of times a week in St Kilda, got in the water, and I kind of just spoke to the sea and said, oh, man, like what do I do this week? She wants this and he's feeling that. And, I'm, and you know, everything was transparent between all of us and there was a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would be like, tell me what to do. Tell me how to navigate this bit. And in some form the sea would speak to me and I would get out of the water and I would write it and so that's how the chapters began I mean obviously it was me speaking to some other part of my own consciousness <laughs> it wasn't literally the sea speaking to me but it might as well have been yeah, yeah. Became a beautiful hook for the stories and yeah. so yeah I started to write these little chapters and then I started to write about my mom, who would go in the water with me and my children. And suddenly it sort of started to coalesce into a much bigger story. And about, I don't know, five, six chapters in, I went, oh, this is a book. And so um, without spoilers, or it's your, it's your book if you want to do this one, but <laughs> it's mentioned um, about the history of desire and rebellion and your female line so was this a way in to really exploring yeah that history I guess and yeah that, well so that was actually also like the fulcrum that the turning point where it went from being a series of incoherent chapters to a book because what happened was I started to talk to my mom about my coming out and being in love with this woman and what I was noticing, you know, emerging in myself. Yeah. And she was really beautiful and kind and understanding and really stood with me, you know, despite the chaos I was inviting with everything that I was doing. Yeah. Um, and at one point we were just sitting at my kitchen table and she said, well, let me tell you about your grandma because you're not the first kind of wild beast in our line <laughs> and then she told me and I guess people will have to read the book to find out what she told me. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but that was like this awesome freebie, you know, that I got narratively in a way where life yeah. offered a story to me that then made my one narrow kind of um, hyper-personal story into something yeah. larger and greater and more historical. And yeah. that was such an incredible kind of bounty to have landed in my lap. Oh, an incredible gift. And your mum sounds incredible as well. Yeah, she's a legend. <laughs> yeah. So you, you mentioned um, about this discovery of writing and or, or an awakening of writing and sexuality at the, at the you know, later part of your 30s, sort of around mm -hmm. the same time. Did you like to write when you were a child? Was it a, a sort of a dream or? I always understood my world through words and listening to them and shaping them and inventing them and weaving them into kind of daisy chains of <laughs> my lived experience. I think I've always been a natural storyteller. But, you know, it's interesting because that impulse and that joy really went underground in my adolescence, as did a lot of joy, I think. And it was only like later in life as I kind of built my sense of self and I became a mother and I just fought kind of to find my selfhood, to excavate it from the rubble of various things that had happened to me throughout my adolescence, yeah. <laughs> that then it re-emerged and... So, yeah, again, they just like really went hand in hand. I don't know what gave, like it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, like what gave permission to what, whether my gayness gave permission to my craft or the other way around. Yeah. They're very that. close to each other. When you started to, I guess, explore that writing, did you do any, any courses or anything like that or was it purely just writing um, for yourself? Or I just started and I had some really wonderful people in my life. And the person who comes to mind precisely around this time is Kevin Brophy, who I worked with at Five Islands Press at the time. We were editing poetry together and yeah. publishing poetry together. And he was sort of the closest thing I had to a mentor, I guess. And he was incredibly generous. He read all the early scrappy things and just said, yeah, yeah, this has promise. This has legs. Go for it. Keep, keep going. And one of the, th in fact, the going in the sea thing was, you know, based on a piece of advice he gave me because I said, Kevin, how do I get the ball rolling? Like, can you give me a stimulus, an exercise, you know, a prompt? Yeah, yeah. He's this very, very experienced teacher. And so I thought, well, ask the teacher, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, just try and write episodically. You know, find one thing as a prompt and make it either daily or weekly and go on that. Like don't try and jump too high, basically. And it was such excellent craft advice. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, yeah, that's achievable. So what's my prism? What's my hook? And I went, oh, it's the C. It's that I'm trying to get through this really intense time that was very, like it was very intense in a bodily way as well. So throwing myself into the water dealt with that and yeah. throwing myself into the writing dealt with the upstairs cerebral electricity. I guess with the sea, the you've got that chance, you know, as a, a mother and a lover and a, a wife at that time to be able to be somewhere on your own completely yes. just to disconnect and give yourself that kind of space, right? I love that you've said that. I love that you've observed that. I hadn't thought of it, but, yes, it's a very... It's a very um, intentionally solitary moment. So uh, awful, 
awful about the war in Ukraine and yeah. just heart goes out to your country of mm. birth and the people. How is that for you? And I know this is sort of a little bit of a segue, but it's also tied in to part of your identity. How, how mm. is that for you? And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really hard, of course. Um, you know, the duration of it is also just astonishing to me and, yeah. and, um, the kind of no end in sight is there's this kind of aggregate trauma with that. I think that's really painful. For me, you know, I've never strongly identified with being Ukrainian. I have very strongly identified with being from Odessa and with being a Jew. And, okay. yeah. and Odessa is a very Jewish city, you know. And so to actually have written that in my book has felt like, I mean, I didn't do it opportunistically, obviously. I, mm-hmm. I read it. A long time no, before, no. And, um, no. but to put that flag in the sand for that place on the planet has felt really beautiful and really important because Odessa, as a city, um, has survived so much, so much sorrow and invasion and rebuilding, yeah. and it has retained its color and its vivacity. And I mean, I, I don't know what it's like now, obviously, in real time. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that there's not much colour or vivacity right now. But even, I don't know, like my mum's in touch with her best friend who still lives there, who you will have met in the book, yeah. who went and did some very important fact-finding for me. Um, yeah, my mum speaks to her, you know, weekly. And um, they're amazing, you know, the... the there's no electricity. There's very often no power. They're freezing they're scrambling for food, but they're going to ballroom dancing classes. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, so, like, there is this incredible fortitude about the people of Odessa, and I feel very proud of that. Yeah. Very sad, very sad about it being tested. Yes, absolutely. And ensuring that life continues and and is celebrated, right, with what you're saying about the... Boring dancing is just an incredible example. Yeah. Yeah. So with with your book out in the world, how's that been for you? Um, <laughs> are you enjoying the, the journey? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's so exciting. And I have gotten so much very swift, bright feedback. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and it's reaching people. And that's the thrill. I mean, that's aside from forestalling my own insanity that's my whole reason for writing is to reach people so it's beautiful I love that yeah what what's your hope for the swift dark tide being out in the world is it that connecting to that one reader who needs it what's what's your or all of the above yeah I mean it's such a big question because it's like saying like what's your hope for your child you know it's like you um, I hope it goes out there and gives people heart I hope it emboldens people who need it who need the permission to step into whatever you know like for me it was queerness it was grabbing that by the tail but I think people can spend you know lives of quiet desperation for not grabbing all sorts of things yeah and I'm not suggesting that everybody go out and detonate the life that they have built but I guess if you're on the cusp and you're thinking about it, I hope this book shows you that it's possible and that it can be triumphant and that, of course, there's sorrow, but it can also be really beautiful too to say yeah. out loud, I am this. 
Yeah, look, it's it's such a beautiful book and such a beautiful gift to the world that you've given. And um, yeah, and I think for anyone, regardless of where they're at, just to to read that and share that and just the beauty and pain that comes with truth, right? And and right. finding that, I think. With that, what's your next writing project? Oh, I'm already a few months into my next book. Yeah. Which, um, is no, it you love of... that. Your book just comes out and everyone's asking. Yeah. What's, what's the next one? Yeah. yeah, I can't <clears throat> talk about it in a great amount of detail because sure. um, it's yeah. actually not about me, which is wonderful. It's like such a mercy <laughs> 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 to have a break from my own bloody you know, dialogue. Um, yeah. But I am writing the biography of a really incredible human being who is um, a part of my community and who is a bit of a force, really. And this work feels very different and very sacred and very amazing in a whole other way. So not to be an elusive weirdo. No, 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 no. no, no, um, I think you're very generous sharing that, actually. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I know what it's like, particularly in those earlier stages, you're almost scared of losing the magic of the project. I mean, whatever, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's messy. Oh, brilliant. And now we have our book review with Joe from Blarney Books and Art in Port Berry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Rob. And what book do you have for us today, Joe? Right. Well, today I wanted to talk about Stone Fruit by Lee Lai. It's a graphic novel and it came out in, I think, 2021 and was shortlisted for the Stella Prize in 22. It lost out to The Magnificent Drop Bear by Evelyn Arrow Lewin. But this is a beauty. This is kind of the study of a relationship between two women who are dealing with all sorts of issues, mental health issues, um, gender identity issues, and trying to negotiate their relationship and around their families. So is it black and white? Is there some colour? It's, it's an interesting style, actually. It's largely black and white. There is a little bit of blue in there. Two women, Ron and Ray, in a relationship. Uh, there's a, a young person in their lives who's Nessie, who is Ray's sister's daughter. And so these two women are the wonderful wild aunties who get to have afternoons with Nessie. And in Lee Lai's wonderful illustration style, when they're playing um, games with Nessie in the park, the style changes completely and they all turn into sort of wild animals running through the jungle and stuff. And it's, oh, it's really, really fun. And as soon as Nessie goes back to her mum, uh, the style changes back to a sort of a more conventional line drawing. Uh, Nessie's mum has a bit of a problem with Nessie being with Bron and Ray because she feels that she, she kind of says somewhere in it that she didn't, I don't think she signed up for Nessie to be looked after by someone like Bron. And Nessie's mum, Amanda, is struggling with bronze identity, gender identity. So I'm not going to give everything away about it because it, readers need to discover for themselves because yeah. there's uh, a difficult journey. And the reason it's called Stone Fruit, it's it's quite symbolic, obviously. And there's a passage in there that talks about Ray had never tried a peach or an apricot. I can't remember which stone fruit it was. Um and so Brom bought a one and she bit into it and she didn't realise there was a stone in the middle and she chipped a tooth. But the whole thing is, you know, people might appear soft, but some people have this stone at the heart. And Bron's busy trying to deal with that. And so it's 
It's a very interesting read. At a point in the graphic novel, Ron and Ray split up. I don't think this is spoiling anything. And they spend time, each of them, with their sisters. So Bron left home uh, quite a while ago, and she has very religious parents. So she goes home and hangs with her sister for a bit and tries to deal with her parents, who are still struggling to deal with Bron and her identity. And um, Ray gets to spend time with her sister, the mother of Nessie, and they try and meet each other. They try. So, yeah, yeah there's no, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not Hollywood. There's no, not necessarily happy endings everywhere, but it's beautifully done. Yeah, it looks beautiful for our listeners. And um, what do we know about Lee Lay? Lee Lay is transgender themselves and they were Melbourne based and they now live in Montreal. I think this is their first published graphic novel. They've done a lot of zine work and I think they've got another one coming out shortly. Well worth following yeah, absolutely. No, it looks it looks fantastic. Who's the publisher? Fantagraphic Books. Excellent. So Stone Fruit by Lee Lay. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for having me again. And a question we ask all our guests is a writing question, yeah. um, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers or storytellers. Oh, find a room of your own. Yeah. Yeah, really. Especially people who parent, we have to fight for quiet and for an uninterrupted space where creativity can emerge. And I mean, I think part of what forces a particular kind of writing is also that we don't have the luxury of kind of uninterrupted, unmediated months and months and months of just quiet writing time. So that's a kind of beautiful, necessary pressure too that creates something good craft-wise, I think. But I think the only way that I could have written this book in the time that I did was that I would periodically carve out times where I would just physically like leave the city. I would just go with my dog to another house, like I'd just get an Airbnb and I would just write for a few days and put a dent in it, you know. Amazing. So I think it's that's a commitment worth fighting for if you can organise whatever supports you have to enable that. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. And on the show we also have a shout-out question. Okay. So how can listeners uh, connect with you on socials? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I am um, very... Uh, what's the word, ambivalent about the socials. I'm having to be on there a lot at the moment, sort of saying, look, I'm like, I love it. Um, Okay, but I am on the socials. I'm just Katya Ariel on Facebook and I am Katya underscore Deer, D-E-E-R, like the animal, on Insta. And I'm not on Twitter because I don't understand it. (laughs) I don't mind it. It's it's an interesting Uh, one, Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And what else? I'm just doing events and radio um, appearances and things over the next few yep. months. So okay. I'll be publicising that. Yeah. Um, so we will we will we'll have our show notes. So we'll we'll put the the links in for those. So yeah. if people yeah. just keep an eye on your on your Facebook or Insta, they'll be able to see if you're in town or what you're up to. Yeah. Yes. Yes, thank you. In a writing way, listeners, not in a not in a creepy, stalky way. Stalky way. <laughs> and um, would you like to shout out any 
LGBTIQA plus artists, uh, books, art shows, organizations? Oh, um, okay. I'm going to give a shout out to a really gorgeous human called Ros Bellamy, who uh, I made friends with through the recent QLIT Festival. Yeah. And um, Roz has a book coming out later this year called Mood, which is also a memoir. And um, Roz is just a very, very special, sensitive, bright, brilliant human. And their story is delivered also in a sensitive and brilliant way. And I want the world to read it when it eventually emerges. So... Absolutely. A huge, huge fan of Bros and I uh, might see if they want to come on the show, actually. Yeah. That'd be great. Brilliant. Okay. And our closing question is, what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus community? This is like a really big question. It makes me very emotional because I think we do so much right already. You know, I think... Queer communities, large and small, are so amazing at family, at creating family for each other. Um, but my hope, I guess, from the world at large for us is safety. Yeah. Safety. I want all trans kids to not have a second thought about walking through the world, you know, however they need, and to use whatever bathrooms they want to use and to know that they will be respected in all their visibility and all their corporeality and whatever language, whatever queer people need, that that just be spoken without a second thought, that the world steps up and just gives that ness, you know, especially to the most vulnerable. Beautiful. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So Katia Ariel. Uh, the Swift Dark Tide is out now. I certainly highly recommend it. It's beautiful and brave and must read it. Thank you so much, Gazia, <laughs> for being our Thank guest so today. Gorgeous. Thank you. Nice to chat to you. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art, and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews, and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.